Okay, welcome back to another episode of Just Another Bozo on the Bus. I'm your host, Paul Randack. And uh, welcome, bozos. That's what I call my, my friends out there. Because <laughs> that's the purpose, Jake, is we're all bozos on the sure. bus. Um, I'm excited this week to welcome Jake Fisher, a friend and a colleague. Um, I work with almost on a daily basis, Pretty actually. Yeah. yeah, thank yeah. you for having me. Yeah, it's great. To, it's great that you're here. Um, and Jake's got a, a pretty amazing story, and um, and I, one that I, I know our listeners are going to enjoy. And uh, looking forward to him sharing that with us today. I do want to let you guys know in the coming weeks, um, I've got a, a, a couple interesting guests. I've got Mike Hawes from the Red Barn coming up uh, next week. And uh, David Frasconi uh, will be back the week after that. And uh, no doubt we may end up talking a little bit of politics, but we, we try to stay away from that a little bit in here. But it, it does happen with uh, this gentleman on the show from time to time. Anyway, Jake, thanks so much. It's, I'm really, it's an honor to have you here, and I'm, I'm glad you're here. Thank you. And um, though I know kind of some of your story, sure. um, having kind of been around uh, for the last few years and we've gotten to know each other, um, why don't you Why don't you take a little time and, and tell us a little bit about about Jake and uh, you? You grew up here, right? I mean, in, in <clears throat> excuse the, me. Yeah, so I grew up in uh, West Bountiful, so Davis County. Ah, um, West Bountiful. West yeah, Bountiful. Yeah. Yeah. yeah up by uh, you. Up, okay, I think Corey was. Yeah, Corey, Corey told was, me Woods Cross. I Woods think. Cross initially uh, he was born, but then yeah. they they moved up to the uh, the the golf course area. Yeah, the east side. Yeah. Yeah, hmm. I'm from from the west side, I guess. And that, now he lives on the west side, by the way. I think doesn't he? No, Corey's still on the east. Oh, okay, He's never mind. In, Sorry, uh, up uh, up by the golf course still. Oh, okay. Or a new house up up there. Okay. Yeah. You know. So, um, yeah, I grew up in in Westbound Full. In fact, I lived my first oh 29 years in Davis County. Yeah. Um, only moved a couple of times. Um, but a pretty Mormon family, I would say. Um, I've got an older sister, Corey. By the way, what is a what is a pretty Mormon family? <laughs> well, I, I, I should say we went to church every Sunday. <laughs> okay. Um, involved in you know church activities. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Yeah, both of my parents had callings mm-hmm. most of my life, where they they taught primary or Sunday school. Okay. They, they were engaged and active is what yes, you're saying. Yes, okay. they were active. Okay. Yep, absolutely. Because when, when you hear the term pretty involved, I mean, you could, uh, I had someone on a few weeks ago, but that meant their parents drank on weekends. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Not my parents. Yeah. In fact, I don't think that, I don't think that my dad has ever even had a sip of an alcoholic beverage or he's pretty straight and narrow that way yeah as far yeah. as that goes yeah at least the, at least that that he knows of or it wasn't a never intentional you know i used to joke with my, my mother-in-law a little bit because she would they'd be on vacation sometimes and she would uh order you know like a, a virgin margarita uh-huh. or a pina colada i think yeah. was one of them uh-huh. and of course once in a while would, she'd be halfway would, through and going i'm feeling funny uh-huh. be a bit of booze <laughs> like you, like you don't know the taste is a little off i was my, talking with todd mom. about this actually yeah because i think that, that idea of when you order something and you it's not what you expect so anyway <laughs> there sorry, was a time i digress <laughs> yeah this is a little side story but um my dad and and my little brother and myself built a house 
and um, at one point he was painting and he wore the wrong respirator and I came to help him and he was just high as a kite it was <laughs> kind of a funny thing but I think as far as like trying himself sure you right. know he never he intent inten- his intention was to not have it pass yeah. his lips so to speak that's yeah. right, right. Yeah. yep yeah. so it's kind of a um, like a no tolerance, zero tolerance, yeah. you know. Teetotaler is another term used for that. Uh-huh. Where I grew up, that was the term. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so that wasn't even, that was never on the table. It was just, you know, we don't do this in, in, in our family. Right. right. And so, of course, you know, I pushed that boundary at some <laughs> point. <laughs> so um, I grew up, you know, I played sports most of my life and... I never, I, I didn't get into drugs or alcohol until much later in life. Um, I went to Viewmont High School and, and played sports there. And it wasn't until after high school that, that I started mm-hmm. drinking and, you know, partying on the weekends. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you, had, you said you, you're talking about a younger sister with Corey. Oh, yeah. How many siblings do okay. you have? Okay, sorry. So no, no. Um, I've got an older sister. And it turns out that she is a half-sister, which I didn't find out until I was, like, 22 years old. Um, (laughs) Did you find out by accident, or was that... that, No, so I was going through some difficult things and and talking to my mother about that and, you know, talking about some trials, and, Mm -hmm. and she related, you know, I've been through some things myself. Oh, okay. You know, it turns out that Corey's, Corey's my older sister, her dad is mm-hmm. not your dad, right. um, which looking back, we don't look a lot alike. Um, and so it makes sense. But at the time, it was quite a shock. Like, what do you mean? She's so <clears throat> my uh, it doesn't change that she's still I mean, she is your oh, sister. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh-huh. and so much of that. I mean, this is a, this is an important, I think, component to families is that, you know, it, it's not always necessarily blood or biology that determines sure. a family by, by any means. Right. Yeah. yeah. She as as long as I've known her, you know, she's been my sister. So, <clears throat> excuse me, my my dad went on a mission, an LDS mission. And during that time, my mom got involved with someone else and uh, became pregnant mm-hmm. and that's my older sister um and then a younger brother and he's well he was four years <clears throat> four years younger than me um and he's no longer with us and maybe we'll go into that a little yeah, bit more if, if you feel like it um yeah. and then my baby sister Lainey mm-hmm. so Nick is my little brother's name and Lainey and she's about seven years younger than me. Okay. So, I guess... Uh, when you were in high school, and as far as playing sports go, mm-hmm. were you just playing most of the team sports? Anything stood out? or that you uh, I was better at baseball, and so that's, that's kind of the sport that I really enjoyed. Okay. I, I played basketball and, and football as well, but... Um, I wasn't as good at, at those sports, and so, I, mm-hmm. you know, I wasn't as passionate about them either. Huh. Um, so by the time I was a senior, I had dropped football, and I dropped 
basketball and and just focused on on baseball. Okay. So okay. and I was I was okay. I wasn't. <laughs> I guess that um, some of my well, I I put a lot of focus on other things. Um, I liked going out with girls and so there was a lot of focus on <laughs> baseball on, girls weighing uh-huh. the two things I yeah see. so i think looking back i've got the athletic athletic ability that if i had really focused maybe uh-huh. it would have taken me you know into college but um that wasn't the case no yeah so, so you you probably this could have propelled you to to do some other things if 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 you hadn't gotten distracted i guess that's a good word for it (laughs) absolutely yeah and that um so they the distraction with girls i guess is part of the reason why at one point i started drinking um i had i'd been in a relationship with a with a gal and um it was during this the time that my father and my my little brother and I were building this house, hmm. which occupied really all of my time. I can imagine. And she... The three of you primarily yes. were building this house. Yeah, really, yeah, ground ground up pretty much. And she didn't like that, you know, because I wasn't able to give her the attention that sure. she wanted. Yeah. And so we broke up. <clears throat> and then I saw her a few months later in Moab, just you know, coincidentally. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we ended up sleeping together. And then a few weeks later, she contacted me and said, you know, I think, I think I'm pregnant. And at that point, had she taken the test? Or she just, hadn't, she, she hadn't taken the test. So I was, you know, kind of like, Oh shoot. You know, this, <laughs> by, by the way, this is rated explicit. Okay. Now you, well, okay. you, just so you know, okay. so, cause I, I would have said a few choice. Sure. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, um, darn. Yeah. Dang it. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, that went on for a little more than a month and I'm, you know, figuring out, how I'm going to tell my family and, and we're going to sit down and talk to her family about right, it. Right. And, uh, right at the tail end of that, I, I went, um, to Mesquite with a bunch of friends and, you know, there was alcohol there and I kind of had the feeling of like, well, why not at this point? Life's kind of over as far as, you know, <laughs> you're done. How yeah. old were you? How old? This was, uh, 20. I was okay. 20 years old. Okay. <laughs> Life's over. Yeah. Done. Life's, that's a yeah, wrap. Right. That's and, a wrap. <laughs> yeah. And so I decided, you know, why not? I'll, I'll have, have a few drinks and see what happens. And, sure. and mm-hmm. I turned it, you know, I liked it, I guess. I had a good time yeah. that weekend, even though I overindulged and got sick and, you know, oh my, but, uh, yeah, it, it was a good time. Um, it turns out that the girl was not pregnant. Um, and in fact, she never... It was like the final call that I made to her. Like, okay, let's set up this appointment with our families. Right, right. We need to sit down. And she said, she said oh, don't worry about it. I, I had my period a couple of weeks ago. Like, what? Well, <laughs> how, about, how about shooting me a text or... <laughs> 
Oh my so, gosh. So that was a relief. A, a relief and probably a little frustration that you were hanging on to this uh, sure. notion and getting ready to. to I'm, I'm I mean, father. Be, yeah, and, and be an honorable. And be the unhonorable guy. Right. Too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, so that. That's the way that that turned out, and I started drinking quite a bit more, you know, fairly quickly. And this group of of friends that I was hanging out with, um, there were other drugs involved, Mm -hmm. and um, I just started to, you know, justify um, being around it. Oh, it's not that big a deal. Right. And so um, I started doing, like, LSD and and mushrooms. And smoking a lot of marijuana, um, and and a little and some alcohol too. So. A lot, a lot of alcohol. A lot of actually. alcohol. So, but for the most part, it was a weekend thing, you know, initially. Um, but that quickly changed to, you know, I would drink most days of the week, mm-hmm. and then do drugs when I could find them. Um, hmm. So. Um, during this time, I met a woman, and we started dating, and it got real serious, I guess. Uh, looking back, I mean, we're exclusive, and um, we spent a lot of time together, but most of our time was was around um, like using illegal substances or drinking, mm-hmm. and um, we decided to get married. And I remember, in fact, the first time that I told her, I love you, we had taken uh, some ecstasy. And <laughs> what a su- what a, I mean, I'm sorry, but what a surprise. Right. Because right? yeah. you love everyone. Right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And so, in fact, I remember um, coming down, you know, when the ecstasy had started to wear off. Right. And like this feeling of dread. I really told her that I love her. And I don't I don't necessarily know that I do. Mm-hmm. Um, so, did, but had you proposed at that point? I had not. Oh, okay, oh no, okay, no. Okay, so okay, that okay, was okay, that yeah. was more in the beginning. Yeah. <clears throat> Around that same time, I had a, a close friend. He he died, and um, it was sudden, and um, he had a heart abnor- abnormal abnormality. Uh huh. Yes, okay. and and so nobody saw it coming, and um, and she was a, a shoulder to to lean on sure. at the time comfort yeah she yeah. was absolutely yeah. and, and you know and the, probably <clears throat> was easy to you know work through the grief with is having right. companionship like that sure. exactly yeah. not and, to mention substances yeah, yeah yeah absolutely so um we dated for six months and then i mean i was at this time i was 22 and she was 18 and I guess kind of the feeling that I had was the next step is we get married. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not seeing anyone else. And and so that's what we did. Almost a natural progression a little I bit, suppose. right? I suppose. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you do this and you do that. And mm-hmm. then, yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 So we were married and, um, and you know, continued to use drugs together. And then it, we started um, abusing opioids. So pain painkillers when we could find them um do you do you have a an injury story that surrounded this or is this just not necessarily they, just, they came up and they came up yeah yeah i've got a i've got a later injury story but um 
initially it was just recreational use okay. and and when we could find them so you know we were raiding families medicine cabinets and friends and um finding them through other friends when we could right um yeah. and i guess i remember when the first time i i realized that oh i've got a dependence like i'm physically dependent on this on opioids is i had somehow found some um uh, fentanyl patches and got oh. my hands on those and and they last a long time yeah. and i got and they maintain right a certain level for right quite, for quite and a bit of time. Yeah. so i i had taken i don't know half a dozen of those over the course of a week and then those they were off and all of a sudden you know i'm i'm sick you you you've, you've this is your first experience with withdrawal <clears throat> yes okay uh-huh. all right. yeah and i didn't really know about it and and you know so that was kind of eye opening you know now now i'm I have to take this or else or else right. I get sick. Aches, pains, nausea, all the Yep. You know. Yeah. Yeah, and so so then that became, you know, a main focus is finding finding painkillers. Right. right. You know. Um Did what well, by the way, was she was was your wife at the time doing these with you? Or? Yes. So you guys yep. were were sharing the Yeah. Sharing yeah, the and drugs. so this went on and it I don't wanna say that we we did have good times and some happy times in in that marriage. Um, it's not all black and white. I I, right. I, I get that. Yeah. yeah, I'm not insinuating. That. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, but but a lot of it was was the majority was finding drugs. Yeah. You know, especially when it got to that point. Um, and there were multiple occasions when you know we looked at at each other and ourselves and said, "This is enough. We need to get off of. We need to stop this." Mm-hmm. And tried to do that with each other and more often than not then um i would stumble you know and and start using again you know we'd have a short period of sobriety and then one of us would get a hang up and yeah and the other would follow down that down that road quickly so at one point uh we both got on uh like went to a a clinic and um, got on Suboxone. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, she got on methadone first while I was still using, mm-hmm. and I abused her methadone for a, or a period of time as well because they'd give her like a three day right. takeout, and you know that was one of my favorite days of the week for a little while. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <clears throat> so, um, but it. After some time, you know, I figured, you know, I've got to, I've got to do something as well. And, yeah. and so I got on Suboxone and as you know, I'm sure you could imagine our relationship at this point wasn't, it's not the healthiest relationship. And we recognized that and thought, you know, maybe we're, maybe we're better off, you know, going our separate ways yeah. basically. And so we went through a divorce and I mean, as far as divorces go, it was pretty simple. We right. both recognized this was no longer a good relationship for us, and 
Well, you know. you're, you're completely enabling each other. Exactly. With two, which is hard. I'm not not that you can't work that out in a relationship, but sure. The it's it's difficult. It can be yeah. very difficult. And I mean, it sounds like you kind of knew even before you got married that maybe this wasn't. It wasn't the best foundation yeah. to start the, a relationship. Yeah. I don't think. <laughs> yeah. Ding ding ding. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so. Um, so we got divorced, and I continued to take um, take Suboxone mm-hmm. for a few years. And for me, Suboxone, it was good in that, you know, it kind of broke that habit of mm-hmm. going and searching, seeking for drugs. Sure. Um, Stopped I, a lot of the behaviors associated yes, with the drugs. Yes. Yeah. However, at the same time, I, I felt like there wasn't a lot of ambition in my life anymore, a lot of a lot of emotion it masked some of that Mm -hmm. and so it felt a lot like i was just going through the motions of life where i'd go to work and then you know grind through that and then get home and do nothing really um Hmm. watch a lot of tv play video games and uh like i wasn't dating um i didn't care to go out with friends and so at one point I decided, well, I need to I need to get off of Suboxone and see see how that see how I am with, without it if right. things change at all. Yeah, no, and that makes sense. <clears throat> you know, um, the, a lot of people that you, they talk about this, you know, should you know is is medication management or assisted treatment sure is is it a healthy way to go? And it surely can be, mm-hmm. and it, it can definitely. Um, help create some distance between the relationship or the bond you know one has with the drug, um, and 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 get them away from that. Right. The other side of that, though, is if you're alone and you don't have a strong connection to a community, sometimes being on medication-assisted treatment or medication management mm-hmm. um, it be, doesn't work in the same way. We feel like we're still not. You know, because we kind of then connect with the Suboxone. And I'm uh-huh. not, again, I'm not dissing anyone on Suboxone or, mm-hmm. or anything because for some people that's, that's their way of, of, of finding sobriety. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not judging that, but I'm, uh, quite often we still have to find ways to connect to people. Sure. And if we find ourselves isolating. Which I did. Yeah. Yeah. Then that be, can become a problem. Yeah. And, it, and even the Suboxone, um, I abused that as well. So there would, you know, I would skip a day or I'd skip two days until I'd start to get sick mm-hmm. and then like triple my dose. Oh. And not all the time, but but I did that quite often. And so I was still abusing you drugs. You were still abusing it. Yeah, it wasn't yeah, necessarily right. maintenance. You know, I yeah. would I was still looking for a head fix yeah. or a head change. Um, and so there is a right way, I think, to maintain on that. And I wasn't <laughs> I wasn't doing it. You weren't following the uh, the, the recommended daily dose. That's right. What you're saying. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Still chasing the high. Yeah, yeah. for okay. sure. Um, so uh, I did decide, you know, I needed to get off of it. And I was on a fairly high dose at the time and like, you know, 32 or 24 milligrams Um and I got myself down to like eight and then sometimes four milligrams. But then I would do that again where I'd, you know, triple the dose and, you know, to get high. And so. Crazy I just, cycle, isn't it? Oh, yeah, it, was, yeah, yeah. it was ugly. So yeah. I decided I've just got to get rid of all of them and just 
grid it out and go through it. And boy, I, I had no idea what was in store for me physically <laughs> and, and mentally yeah. um, to get off of it. Um, and it took it took a month probably before like I really started to feel normal again. Mm-hmm. At the time, um, I was a network administrator for for a company. And I knew that I was going to need some time off. And so I made up this, I, I'm, I came down with the swine flu at the time. <laughs> that was why I was missing so much work. I've got the swine flu. So I made it through that, um, you know, came out the other end. And so now I'm off Suboxone. Uh-huh. And I know that I've got an issue with, with opioids like i can't take those ever again Mm -hmm. um but that didn't stop me from drinking and and so my drinking got a lot heavier over time Hmm. you know i was finding excuses to to go out and drink um and it got it got bad enough that um i started like creating these rules for myself where I made a rule that I wouldn't drink alone mm-hmm. unless I'm working in my garage or I'm working on the yard, then it's okay. And so I found myself in the garage. In the garage a, a lot, lot, didn't you? I was yeah. say. And how was your yard? Oh, it was beautiful. Yeah. It looked, it looked, well, I mean, it, it's, yeah. I understand. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, um, and then another rule I had, well, so another rule that I bent was I wouldn't drink alone, um, but if I was on my way to see someone, then I could drink. So, um, well, I'm going. I'm going to go see this person here shortly, so I can start drinking now. <laughs> and you know, so there was absolutely a, a problem with with my drinking at that point. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm taking you just like with the Suboxone. You weren't drinking in moderation. No. <laughs> No, I didn't have a real shut off, you know, I, uh-huh. it wasn't a couple of beers. It was, I drank to, to get drunk. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there was a lot of drinking and driving, you know, and it was, I'm lucky that I didn't hurt myself or someone else yeah. during that time. Yeah. Um, and so it just so happened that I was drinking with, with a couple of, of people and um, well, actually, you know what? Let me back up a little bit. So during this time, I, w- I was still working out, um, and even though I was drinking as heavily as I was, I was I was still going to the gym, and I hurt my back, and I didn't give it enough time to to heal. And I got back into the gym and um, went too heavy one day and completely blew it out so it blew my back up um to where i had like a lot of nerve pain and it like running down my leg right and it got bad enough to where you know it was difficult to walk and you know i was dragging my leg around behind me for getting out of bed was a whole movie oh goodness yeah yeah Yeah. and and so i had to schedule surgery and which went really well um but I remember in the in the recovery room, I had a morphine drip at that point, and and there was just that feeling that that I 
um, loved so much, you know, from years, yeah, years past that the, you know, that narcotic, that warm blanket. Yes. Yeah. 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 And so all of those feelings, you know, kind of came back and, and that was the start of, of when things got really bad for me again. Mm. Um, So the, 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 reigniting your opiate yes. problem came from a, a back injury right and after surgery then you yeah yeah things took off that's right so surgery went really well mm-hmm. and in fact i i had very little pain afterward really yeah like uh. the nerve pain was gone the surgery was a success so um but i still i had that drip in the in the recovery mm-hmm. room, and so I wanted I wanted to continue sure, sure. continue down that road, and so I saw my um, saw the surgeon a few few more times mm-hmm. over the course of the next few months, and he prescribed me you know take home um, Percocet, and um, so that's kind of the start of where things started to go downhill. Okay. Um, so then this leads me to this story where I'm drinking and I'm at a, at a party and I knew as long as I just stick with these pres- prescriptions that, you know, it can't get too out of hand. Well, I'm at this party and, and I know that if I find something black market or if I find a dealer, uh-huh. then that'll be the end of that. You know, things will get really out of hand, but I had been drinking and, and, you know, we don't make the best decisions <laughs> while we're drunk. Yeah. And there just happened to be someone there that had a phone number of a, of a dealer mm-hmm. um, that could get uh, oxycodone or I guess there were Roxy's at the time. Right, right. And uh, and so I took the number and and that's, you know, things got really Off to bad. the races. Yeah, yeah. that's okay. right. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I... I found also, you know, my my uh, surgeon told me, well, if you shouldn't still be experiencing pain. You know, the surgery went well, so I'm not going to prescribe you anything more. So I found um, a pain clinic that I started to go to, mm-hmm. um, and it was very easy for me to go in there. You know, I would show up fine, um, but then create this limp on the way into the doctor's <laughs> office and you know a lot of moans and groans and uh-huh. you know even, even though i wasn't really in pain then then i created this character yeah of like you know i can barely walk and, right you and, put the invalid mask on yeah that's right you took, played that character right? yeah 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 and so i was prescribed you know a lot of medication you know and the pain clinic that I went to, they start you off at a fairly low dose, but quickly ramp you up. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, by the end of it, I was taking home like 120, 30 milligram um, Roxy's, yeah. and which is quite a bit. Yeah. But, but it didn't, that would last, you know, a week maybe. Yeah. And then it was, you know, through, through dealers um, that I would get the rest. Um, how, how are you 
And you still had your job. Right? I still have my job. So you, you. I mean, because that that gets expensive. You know, it does. Those get kind expensive. of quantities. Yeah. 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 If you're buying Roxy's and Oxy's, mm-hmm. you know, off the street, mm-hmm. they're they're they get pricey. Yeah. 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 And so that's how I afforded it. I had a fairly good job, and mm-hmm. and I went to work every day, and you know, even though I wasn't the best employee, I'm sure, you know. Um, you showed up and did. I and, showed up and did your minimums and yep. you know, did what you needed to do. Yeah. Had had anyone at this point, at at you know, just said, "Why don't you try heroin yet?" I mean, no. you, you never got that. So I'd, I'd never been around it, um, and there was just this huge stigma. The stigma attached. associated with pills are okay, right? Right. right. Yeah. yeah. If I can get it in a in a pill form, then yeah. it's. Then I'm it's not justified. actually a junkie. All that right. kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I and I always had money, and so it wasn't it wasn't really a huge strain. So it wasn't, yeah, uh, yeah. I think it, had I not had a good job, then it would have gone that way. Yeah, um, at some point. Um, so because of you know, I I had also created a, a lot of anxiety for myself because you know at this point I'm not living my genuine life you know my true self your authentic self exactly yeah, yeah. and so you're not really following your core beliefs exactly you know? yeah. and so which by the way you know i had when i was you know todd and i talked about this recently that mm-hmm. that I, I i if i'm honest with myself and I, you, I i heard this a little bit in your story too and I, i'm not trying to necessarily compare them but the the idea that we know at a very young age i mean i think a lot of people do know what sort of their core truths are sure you know growing up Mm-hmm. Regardless, you know, of where it comes from, whether it be, you know, um, you know, a, a theology or, you know, a, a strong role model or, you know, some strong, somebody with strong ethics or moral values or those kinds of things. We kind of have an that. Well, the term I'm using nowadays is what's what's our true north. Right. Uh-huh. And, okay. and so I'm, what I'm what I'm hearing you say, even as we go through this, is that we know when we're not following that. Right. And I think it starts pretty young for most people. I, yeah. I, I do. I could be wrong, but I, I don't know. Your story seemed to have a, a sort of a, a, some kind of background that you knew pretty young what was what was right and wrong. Right. For, for, for you. For sure. For you, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and, it, and so as that goes, I had started cr- to create a lot of guilt, you know, or shame. The shame, that's, that's what yeah. we don't... We're not living... <clears throat> in our authentic selves, so we're not living our truth, uh-huh. then we end up think there's something wrong with us, and right. that's where the shame comes in. Yeah. yeah, that's right. And so I, that created a lot of anxiety for me, or uh-huh. I created a lot of anxiety for myself. <laughs> right. yeah. And so I, I started taking um, benzodiazepines as well, um, a lot of Xanax. And those two combined, Xanax and, and <laughs> opiates, opiates um, <laughs> They'll give you the nods, right? So you, you, you want to, <laughs> you just want to go to sleep, and so to even myself out, I guess I started finding Adderall, and then when I couldn't find Adderall because it, it, it was a little more difficult to find, then then I would score crack, and uh, and and that's how, you know. Then I started going downtown. And at one point, I did actually get heroin, um, but uh, I don't know if I... So there were times when I couldn't find anything, and I would take... I was able to find, like, a Suboxone so that I wouldn't get Mm -hmm. sick. Right. And at the time that that I tried heroin, I had taken Suboxone, like, 
24 hours earlier and so the heroin didn't really do any didn't do much oh, right didn't right. bring me to the level that that little bit of naltrexone in there yes that, yeah. okay. kind of blocked it and so yeah. um but this is at the very tail end before um before i went into treatment mm-hmm. um so the way i got into treatment um and the way i met you is mm. i i went through an overdose and so I had a routine where I would set my alarm a little bit earlier to get up for work mm-hmm. and I would I snorted most of my most all of my drugs mm-hmm. and so I'd get up a little earlier snort you know my opiates and snort my Adderall or crack whatever that mm-hmm. was and then lay back down um oh and I I was also taking a lot of uh Ambien and to sleep no really because it kind of was a memory eraser. Yeah, no, it, it is. Yeah. And so if it I... It shuts off the ability, it shuts off our uh, taking, you know, from short term to long term. Yeah. Kind of- and so by this point, I really didn't like the person that I was day to day. And if I took enough Ambien, I didn't really have to remember that. Oh. And so I woke up on that particular day, um, took my normal dosage of all of these mm-hmm. substances went back to sleep and then my real alarm went off and woke up and forgot that I had already woke up earlier and took it took so it. I doubled the dose basically and um, my girlfriend found me uh, my girlfriend at the time found mm-hmm. me on the floor and and so I ended up in the ER and um and so at that point this all of these lies that I had created mm-hmm. um trying to fool everybody and trying to hide everything had kind of come out into the open mm-hmm. um and instead of that being kind of a wake-up call then it just it validated um what a terrible person i had become mm-hmm. the, the thought of that and so it didn't that wasn't quite the the end yet um, but at this point, my family knew, okay, Jake's got a real problem, you know. And so it wasn't a week later that um, there was another incident that I won't necessarily go into, but my family had a an intervention. <laughs> and so on that particular day, I was, I was doing laundry at the time. My little brother showed up at my house, uh, which was odd. Um, but I didn't think a lot of it. And he said, hey, why don't you come upstairs? And when I got upstairs, then my whole family was, you know, in a circle and, you know, go ahead and have a seat, you know. And, <laughs> and that wasn't the most fun experience. But um, um, Corey Markovich was there. Yeah. Uh, my little sister is married to his little brother. And so that's the connection that, that we have. And he basically said, you know, you know you need help. We we're really worried about you, so let's get you let's mm-hmm. get you some help. And I didn't know a lot about rehab or, or treatment. Mm-hmm. And they said we want you to go to detox and commit to sixty days at Wasatch Recovery, the treatment facility that, that we work out. Mm-hmm. And um I kind of scoffed, like 
<laughs> they, uh, that's a long time. In your head, you said, you're, you're fucking crazy. You're crazy. <laughs> yeah, like, right. you want me to commit to more than two months of my life. Right. You know, right. when I thought at that point that if I could simply get off of the drugs, if right. I could break the cycle of drug use, then I would probably be okay. Um, I thought the drugs were the problem, not yeah. not that I was the problem. <laughs> right. And yeah. so I just said, take the drugs away, everything will be fine. Everything will be fine. Right, yeah, everything will be great. Yeah. So I said, okay, well, I'll go to detox. And but you're not alone. I mean, in that in that space, and that's how a lot of people sure. think. Right, they think that if I take the drugs away, then mm-hmm. my problems will be gone. Right, not realizing the most that's, that seems obvious today. But not everyone still not everyone thinks that way. Right, I mean, there's still people that think of this from the, you know a, a, a sort of an archaic perspective. Um, but drugs, as we as we know, the drugs are just the symptom. Right. of the problem. Exactly. Yeah. So Corey said. Okay, let's go pack your things. And I, the first thing I packed was the rest of my drugs. And <laughs> well, of course. Yeah, that, that was priority at that yeah. point. So for the first, you know, four or five days in detox, I continued to use. Um, I went to LDS, and they will rifle through your bags, but they don't. Um, they don't check your pockets or anything. So I, I had a pocket full of drugs in detox, which is ridiculous. You know, looking back, I'm going to detox off of drugs, but I'm going to bring all of my drugs in <laughs> with me, you know. And and my thought process at the time was, okay, I'll stop taking the opioids, <laughs> and they're not going to give me an, enough benzos to soothe that, so I'll bring a whole bunch of benzos so. in with me. So... um about four planning yeah right (laughs) yeah that's excellent planning jake thank you (laughs) so i want to say like four days in those drugs they disappeared and i don't know if i used them all (laughs) or if a nurse somebody found found them them. i don't know how that how that went but they were gone and that at that moment i'm like okay i guess i've got to do this for real um this is going to get really uncomfortable but I'm here already. I know that I need help. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily want it because I've gotten to such a like hopeless place that I don't I don't really care anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know I need it, and so I decided to stick out detox. And um, a weekend, Corey showed up again at the hospital. And I said, "All right, let's. You ready to go to go to rehab?" and and I, <laughs> I didn't want to, and I was scared to death, honestly. Sure. Um, and I didn't know really anything about inpatient treatment. Well, yeah, because, you know, you, you couldn't control it, right? I mean, yeah. it, the, this is not a, something that's in your control, so it's, and it's also unknown. Yeah. It's also unknown. Yeah, so I was, I was scared, but again, I knew that I needed something different, yeah. you know? And so I thought, all right, I'll go, I'll go. And if I don't like it, then I'll leave, you know. And so I went and I stuck it out. And, you know, it ended up being life-changing and the best decision really I've ever made, I think. Uh-huh. And um, allowed me, you know, so many so many things. And, sure. And really just happiness yeah. um, at the end of it. Yeah. Which I hadn't known in a long, in a long time. Yeah, you found happiness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... W- with with the, the the thought in mind or the 
the idea that um, that drugs, the, all these different drugs, were just the symptom of something. Mm-hmm. What, what did you? What stood out to you? What did you discover in this process for for yourself? That what what were the the problems? Actually, the actual issues, the problems. Yeah, it's it's a. I think it's a few different things. Yeah. Um, at kind of it. At yeah, it's the never core. just one. It's never just one thing. It's not right? one particular. It's, it's thing, a menagerie. Actually. Yeah, right. Yeah, a menagerie of things. I think part of it, um, or a big part of it, I guess, is is just feeling that feeling inadequate, and I think um, even in, as early as high school. Um, I played a role and I tried to get people to like me. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I wasn't genuine and, and that, that came out as overconfidence or, you know, people would call me cocky. Mm -hmm. Um, and, but inside, you know, I, I was kind of nervous and, um, insecure. And I think that that, kind of was the main part of it and that led into you're not going to mount to anything mm-hmm. um i didn't go to college um initially and that fed into it well if uh, you know you had a whole story about that yeah okay. and sure. then i was married you know very young and and we struggled you know and but I, yeah i think that initially it was just um real insecurity mm-hmm. that that I I put out there is you know I'm this athlete and you know mm-hmm. a fairly decent looking guy and and I think that I'm great when it, when really I I didn't uh-huh. you know I thought that I wasn't I wasn't so great yeah well and I think we we talked about this earlier too the idea that you weren't really living your your you know yeah. what was true or authentic for yeah. yourself. You your your core beliefs and your core values. You were not mm-hmm. emulating those. That's right. And so that idea of kind of going against ourselves, mm-hmm. what you know, leads to that often leads to shame. Right. And you know, I think most people can relate to that idea that when we're not being not living our truth, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. You know, it's first of all discovering what that truth is, and 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 then when we're not living it, it it, it often becomes debilitating, um, you know, emotionally, physically too at times. Yeah. But definitely emotionally or spiritually um, and mentally. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and and having like the Mormon upbringing, and you know, I'm I'm sure um, with yeah. having sex at a young age, mm-hmm. and I knew that, or at the time I felt. Oh, I knew that that was wrong, mm-hmm. and but I did it anyway. And mm-hmm. so these are um, more shame, you know, building some more shame and guilt, mm-hmm. and and I think that's kind of where that, you know, where things went a little off. Yeah. Okay. For me. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Did um at, at at this at this point when you're kind of beginning to reconnect to yourself authentically mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and begin to identify anything that's that stood out uh, uh, that that you remember that stood out regarding um your core beliefs that you know you felt you kind of reach reconnected to or or reanimated in such a way that that gave you that strength what 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 were those those beliefs that that came, that that, you, that stand out well it was a 
it was a long and difficult process, you know, to find that and to to get very honest with myself. I know um, I had I had worn this mask or um, acted, you know, for so long, mm-hmm. and to drop that and to show people that I'm not, I wasn't really very confident, and to actually mm-hmm. get vulnerable, that was a very hard process for me um but learning that you know i can't control what other people think of Mm me um and that it really doesn't matter ultimately Mm -hmm. what other people think of me is is a that was a big um kind of aha moment when once i figured that out and um the other thing that that has been you know huge for me and in my recovery is is just honesty is being completely honest and because for so long i i feel like i'd lived a lie and and i i had i just wasn't genuine you know and and part of it was to control other people i think and and worried what they thought of me and um did you have a strong sense of being Looking back now, that idea of being a people pleaser. I mean, I, I had a, I, I re- relate to this on multiple levels, and it's not something that just completely di- disappeared mm-hmm. at some point because I still found I still found myself seeking acknowledgement or, or validation. And by the way, I, I really look see validation is one thing, mm-hmm. acknowledgement something really different. And mm-hmm. I don't know if you and I have talked about that before, but it's one of those things I, I, I do have strong feelings about that it's it's important to learn how to acknowledge people to to um support them in in being true to themselves and acknowledging when they do that um it's a different thing to validate somebody sure but the people pleasing parts all about seeking some kind of attention whether it be validation acknowledgement anything because of how i feel about myself right it, not feeling good or or capable or okay with myself mm-hmm. so i i, I look i, I want to please people or i did want to please people right um so that they would you know see some kind of value in me in me or like me or or whatever it mm-hmm. was, you know? yeah and then if you know, other people can like me, then I must be, <laughs> I okay. must be okay. I must be okay. Right? I must be likable. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that was, that was one thing. Another thing I didn't really, the idea that I can control my own thoughts was super foreign to me and that oh. I could, I could wake up and choose to be happy, mm-hmm. you know, on some level that was, that was a, totally new concept i I just thought you know my thoughts come in and out of my head and i have absolutely no control over those um (laughs) yeah they're they're a mystery i don't know where they're coming from right (laughs) right you know and so i think that over those years a lot of the things that i was telling myself you know those were very damaging things and now you know i'm such a believer in in being positive and telling myself positive things mm-hmm. um, for so long, especially when things got bad, I, you know, I'd wake up in the morning and, oh, I hate my life. Right. Oh, I, I, I'm a terrible person. I don't deserve, you know, love. And, and 
all the pity party stuff yeah, yeah right yeah. yeah the world would be a better place without me sure which is on like the that. depressive side of that yeah which is that's 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 the the mental health piece that mm-hmm. that becomes that so this switch to more of an affirmational way of living mm-hmm. so acknowledging ourselves you know being willing to acknowledge yourself um and and do that from a place of authenticity, not yeah. just the words, right? Right. I mean, sometimes it starts that way. Yeah, but it actually, does. <laughs> but actually, get yeah. to a place where you take ownership of that affirmational mm-hmm. state, those affirmational statements. Yeah. You know, when when did when did that sort of like settle in or begin to take hold? Well, that was that was in treatment. It was okay. Uh huh. And yeah. so I stayed at Wasatch for three months. I was there um, for ninety five days, uh-huh. and. You know, so that was a lot of therapy, you know, a lot of daily um, therapy. And, and it took me a long time to get to that place. Yeah. But it, over time, you know, there was definitely a shift. Um, you know, initially that I was there for my parents or for my family. And then, you know, over time mm-hmm. that changed to, you know, I'm here for myself. And this is this has got to be for me because it's my life. And sure. So I mean, it took a lot, a lot of work yeah. to get to that place, and I don't, I don't remember that there was like one real moment that it just took some time. It took some time to kind of figure things out, clearing my head from all of the drugs and, and alcohol was mm-hmm. one of those pieces, you know, mm-hmm. um, it, and that took a good month, mm-hmm. I want to say, before like I was really clear headed. Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe I shouldn't have taken my drugs to detox. You know that that kind of put me behind. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. I mean, it is what it is. Yeah. You know, I, I. It's like you know, coulda, woulda, shoulda. Right. right. Yeah. No. <laughs> I mean, and, maybe and, I. And honestly, I wouldn't change anything at this point. No. You know. Of course. So yeah. things happened exactly how they were supposed to, and and. Uh, well, one of the things that that stands out. Um, to me about your story and and I've, I've 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 kind of talked to you a little bit about this you know maybe from a, a different perspective um is you know how you found your tribe you know so to speak i mean how you found this the, the community you connected to mm-hmm. um and and that whole experience so if, I, if i remember you went into sober living too right? I did. okay you mm-hmm. did you did yeah. all that yep. that's right okay so you, you but that the way the community forms mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and um and then you know people have different ways of connecting to that community and sure. so um some people find themselves you know getting into aftercare and and doing that kind of journey um mm-hmm. through developing a community and some people um actually go and work in that field yeah. and become yeah. part of that community and it's the, to me the, it's exactly the same it's just finding a different way to connect to that kind of community and they're both valid and they're both beautiful and I no, I mean that, which is um, I think that's kind of where I was going to you that day that I you know I, I kind of said there's some things I want to say to you yeah. you know because of you know what, watching your journey and just how powerful it was to, to see is how you chose to connect yeah you know and yeah. and make and sort of make that transition into you know and and I, I don't know any other way in life how to maintain a certain level of vulnerability if I don't find a community that I I'm comfortable or I'm, I'm willing or that risking vulnerability mm-hmm. um, is seen as a strength instead of yeah. a detriment. Right. Yeah. 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 And, and people that you can trust. Yes. You know, um, 
and that I remember that there was you know a moment where in treatment um, while while these people were getting vulnerable um, which was scary mm-hmm. I I really appreciated that and I respected that where you know the the person that wasn't getting vulnerable you know it, it was easy for me to respect someone like really getting down to to their core and getting vulnerable and so you know the thought was well you know if i'm respecting this person for getting vulnerable then it's okay for me to do it too and maybe you know i'll gain some respect for that as well um and so you know that kind of showed me that it's okay to to be vulnerable Mm. and you know it's pretty it's courageous how how does the how does your experience of um the victim narrative or the victim stance fit into that learning to become vulnerable you know the the victim's kind of the opposite of becoming of being vulnerable Uh of of showing up and letting people see us because the victim's projecting everything outside of ourselves right but the the, vulnerability is on this side because it's 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 that place of you know i'm 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 taking ownership of of who i am Mm -hmm. right yeah, I know that that uh, from the time that I that I got to treatment, you know, from the time that I got there to the time that I left, there was a massive shift. When I got there, I was this huge victim. Like my job has was a bad job and I was treated poorly and and I had created so many resentments and you know, this is your fault. Um where you know the time that i that i left treatment it was like no i created all of this <laughs> i created all of this chaos in my life and uh-huh. i created a you know poor work environment for myself and i created all of this anxiety um but again it took it took a long time to really you know to really find that but i was absolutely a, a major victim <laughs> you know when i first got to treatment yeah yeah. yeah, that that the feeling of taking accountability, though it seems scary in the beginning, mm-hmm. becomes a sense of more personal empowerment over time. Absolutely, because the the ownership and and that's really I think what something that's that's always stood out to me and, and some, one of the things you said was this idea of what, how important honesty is, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, that when we are honest with ourselves. Um, the rest of the stuff seems pretty easy. I mean, sure. if if we can get through the denial and the delusion right. <laughs> that we kind of create in those yeah. stories that we tell ourselves, so you know that sense of I am I, I'm not the victim of any person, place, or thing that I create my reality that I create my emotions and um, you know and I'm responsible for all the things I do instead of thinking that it has to do with someone else. Right. That being able to rewrite or reprogram whatever terminology you want to use the victim narratives becomes such a powerful component to living a life of integrity I think. yeah 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 i know i agree yeah it, it's such a liberating thing you know to be honest you know initially it is it is scary and you have to be vulnerable but to be able to like look someone in the eye again because uh-huh. i went so long um not being able to look people in the eye and and worried about okay, do they know that I just, you know, use drugs? Or do they know about this shady background, you know? And and to be able to have sit down and have a conversation and be able to look someone in the face and be vulnerable mm-hmm. and, and not really have anything to hide yeah. is just a, a very liberating yeah. 
thing. You know, this uh, one of the something that stood out to me this past week, and this is this isn't. I mean, it is about it is about a, a politician, um, but it that you know John McCain passed mm-hmm. you know this past week, and yep. um, one of the things I always admired about him, and as a human being, and I say human being, even though he had all these other titles and labels, you know, war hero, warrior, you know, um, you know, dad, husband, uh, you know. Uh, <laughs> like to like to spar um but one of the things that that he did that i always felt sort of humanized him constantly over and over again was how he talked about his mistakes how he talked about how you know he constantly made mistakes and that that was just part of his human experience and that you know making mistakes and, and taking accountability for them and seeing things happen from those choices you know was what what allowed him to keep reconnecting to people even people he didn't agree with uh-huh and this is this is i mean it's one of those those things i i, I think that we we learn in different ways you know and um, I think one of the things about the, the, you know, developing and finding trust within the community is we realize how much alike we really are. You know, that we have so much more in common than what the differences are. And those those little differences that, that happen to be there in, in, the, in the big picture, they're not really important. Right. They're not. Yeah. They're not going to determine tough. the quality of a, a relationship necessarily. Yeah. And that's that's the ability to be vulnerable and also be humble. And that and that. So maybe I see that. Maybe I see something of that in this this man's legacy um, is that the humbleness of admitting, you know, that yeah, a day didn't go by where he made you know m- you know numerous mistakes. Sure. And you know, learning to the point where he get to he actually begin. Maybe laugh at them a little bit, you know. Yeah. I mean, the ones that weren't, <laughs> you know, too disastrous, right. I guess. But um, anyway, I, I thought I thought about that and that, that humanization and kind of seems to resonate with a little bit of the story that that you're telling today for you too. Is yes. that willing to become humble and, and take accountability and right there. So um, I'm going to go back and ask the, the question I asked was. Um, the the importance of, of mentors or you know people mm-hmm. that uh, where you learn some of those life lessons right. that still stick with you today yeah. um, and if you want to just kind of give an uh, give an overview of, of of that and and what what you kind of remember and what stands out okay yeah I I talked about uh, my dad a little bit and yeah. uh, growing up you know he was he was the hero figure. Um, He could do, you know, anything and he did do, you know, everything. And um, he taught me, you know, so many things. I know how to work on a car. I can build a house or I have a lot of those skills and I learned those from him. Um, And then uh, Todd and Mm -hmm. Todd Sylvester, Mm -hmm. I talked about and uh just the the idea of telling myself something different you know was such a big thing for me instead of telling myself you know i hate life and i'm a bad person mm-hmm. then telling myself something positive and and that shift over time um and i that's still something that i practice you know the affirmational daily. piece yeah, yeah. you okay. know I'll, I'll catch myself going man do i really have to go do this and 
And then, you know, I'll quickly catch myself and say, no, this is going to be great. This is, you know, this will be, this, this is going to be great, whatever that may be. Yeah. Um, and yeah. it makes a difference. And I get to do this. <laughs> yeah, I get to. I don't <laughs> yeah, have yeah, to do yeah. it. It makes a big difference going into whatever it is with a positive outlook on it mm-hmm. instead of a victim stance, yeah, obviously. Sure. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, that that becomes that. Be- and and one of the things that's that's powerful, I think, in our lives, um, or at least generally, the idea of being human. And I, I was talking about you know this idea of vulnerability and connection and and uh, the humbleness that comes from making mistakes. Um, also, this idea um, of you know how how we connect and and how people the people that we bring into our lives mm-hmm. the choices that we do that and mm-hmm. and you were you were talking a little bit about you know your relationship you got married you know this year and I did you know and it's it's brought a number of changes and yes. you know you you and your partner have been through a lot and you you have some of the similar struggles I mean they're different um, but talk talk a little bit about that and 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 the gifts that have come out of that for you okay. So Hannah and I met, uh, she entered treatment July 1st of 2015. Wow. And, and I'm not going to go into a ton of detail, but initially her and I became friends. Mm -hmm. Um, and to see, to see her enter treatment as sick as she was, because it, by the time I met her, then I I had already been in treatment for um, close to two months. So I had already gone through this process and or a lot of my process of, you know, kind of figuring myself out. And to see that with like a clear head, her come in as sick as she was. She weighed less than 100 pounds um, and super timid she she was kind of shifty in that um she didn't she wasn't trusting anyone and to to hear her story and to go through that with her was was really a beautiful thing for me an eye-opening thing um to see the shift in her and at the same time I'm learning and growing you know as as she's going through this change and um that allowed us to become you know to to gain this trust and i think that it kind of propelled it was a good foundation or a good start for our relationship where we we weren't forced to be vulnerable but we were in a setting that you know it was Mm. easier to be vulnerable you know we're in group every day and and so we know each other's kind of secrets or, or you whatever. Get you get to like. know a lot about a person yeah, in group. There's in no group, doubt. Yeah, you get to know about someone how, really well. How, how soon did you know that you were kindred spirits? You know, like I said, we became friends right. and... and uh, yeah, I don't mean I don't I don't I don't mean you know romantically, but cause, yeah. but there's some at some point you knew that you were kindred spirits. So I'm not I don't mean the 
the whole you know the, de- uh-huh. the relationship that but you, you know that i mean we feel that way a lot of times with different people in in, in group but you uh-huh. shared that you know you watching somebody go through this same experience how powerful that is right to see somebody c- come in and you and we see ourselves a lot of times in that and that's what i mean by kindred spirit somebody that we see often see ourselves in you know that we can see that and that we begin to accept that about them, which is a way of accepting ourselves too, which is really a, in a, a strange way, a miracle almost in itself that, you know, by, by being, being able to witness someone else's story and then be able to relate to it, we kind of, you know, we kind of see that person at a core level, at a human level. Yes. Yeah. Right. It's a powerful thing for sure. Uh, we so we we went through this process and um it i don't know that there was a moment I, there was just such a level of respect um she's been through some like physical abuse mm-hmm. um through a, a past boyfriend mm-hmm. and i haven't really seen any of that in my life mm-hmm. and to hear that her perspective perspective of that and how you know how terrifying that must have been you know and i it's difficult for me to to relate as a grown man Mm -hmm. you know having someone actually control you in that sense um to where you're frightened for your life i've never felt that and it was so powerful and and amazing to hear someone go through that and get out of that Mm -hmm. um which was so courageous i think um we so we started you know we went through all those things together and we i don't know there's such a respect level there mm-hmm. i guess um and of course she's not she's not bad to look at either um <laughs> but she's got all of these great qualities and i think that um we bring out you know kind of the best in each other um in that sense um we Hannah and I, we started dating quickly after, um, after inpatient, right. after treatment. As I said, uh, though, I, I know we had a little technical problem, but that's the one in a thousand, as we say, hey, right. jokingly, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> so we became these very close friends in treatment. And then afterward, both of us went to sober living and stayed there for a few months. Mm-hmm. I stayed there for three months. I would have stayed there for longer, but, um, we had started dating, which you can't do well in most, you know, treatment settings. Right. Yeah. You're not supposed to date another client or another um, resident. And so I was given a choice. You know, you, you guys can stop dating or you can continue on and move somewhere else. And so that's what I did. Um, and I mean, it just it took off from there. You know, we just have a really good time together mm-hmm. and uh you know, I love being around her and, and, you know, that led to a proposal and, and I got married in April and, um, things have been great yeah. as far as that goes. Yeah. Um, I, did I talk about, you know, how, how she'll throw a healthy perspective or did, did that portion get cut out? Do you know? I, I don't know. But go yeah. ahead. And, yeah. So, so one of the things that I really love about her is if I, if I talk in a negative light about someone, mm-hmm. um, which happens that she'll give me a, a healthier outlook on it. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe, maybe they've got this going on in their life 
and uh, maybe you know check this healthier perspective instead of saying yeah that person you know invalidating maybe something negative i may have said then she's quick to point out yeah you know a healthier way to look at it yeah. a different perspective mm-hmm. and sounds like one with maybe some compassion thrown in there too that's right <laughs> yeah all right so uh let's let's move on a little bit um okay. so this idea of um I, you know, where you find joy, what, what are the things that, and I know it's just not about doing and joy's about being as well, but what are the, what are the, how do you find joy? Where do you find that? What do you do to create joy in your life? Okay. I, I've always been a very active person and, uh, one of the things I love to do is mountain bike. And, uh, I feel like when I'm pushing myself physically, then mm-hmm. it's, it's easier for me to find a clear head or um, it's easier it's I suppose that's easy for me to find a healthy place or a place of gratitude mm-hmm. um, so kind of all of the all of the BS goes away and I'm able to kind of reflect on where I've been and where I am today and what an amazing journey all of that has been mm-hmm. you know and so I ride, I ride my mountain bike quite often. I work out a bit. Um, and I mean, I, I strive to choose joy as well. I, I, I don't, yeah, yeah. I don't dwell on, on negative things. Uh, I let those thoughts pass and, mm-hmm. and, and work to replace those with, with something positive, you know? Okay. Okay. That's that. That's uh, the, the again. This coming from a, a place of taking accountability for your thoughts. I love how you said earlier. You know, I did. I didn't know I was. <laughs> I yeah. was responsible for my thoughts. Yeah, and a lot of people believe that. Grow, you know, because they grow up in a world where you know they they think that the thoughts are just are happening to them, right? Mm-hmm. Instead of being created mm-hmm. internally. Um, and a lot of people don't understand that they have their own story. So, what what it what about the um, the ways in which uh, you um, you 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 find that uh, I, I call it the Zen zone. How do, how do you connect for yourself? You know, inwardly to or, you know to that that place of of peace and contentment within you. What what are what are, what are the ways in which you do that? How do you find your Zen zone? Yeah. I think, I, I mean, I'll kind of repeat myself here, but mm-hmm. when I feel the best about life and and when I get into that Zen zone, it's really, I don't see that anything does that better for me than gratitude does. Uh, and so I will, you know, when I'm reflecting or thinking about how good things are or being appreciative of these trials that I've gone through. Um, you know, I'll, I'll become like overwhelmed with gratitude on occasion where, you know, I can get emotional about it. And because it's such a change from the despair that I was in at, at one point mm-hmm. to now for the most part, you know, daily happiness and, and, um, but if I can recognize and, and just look back a little bit and just find some real gratitude, then that's 
where that nothing gets my head right like gratitude does beautiful yeah yeah that was actually something that you know at the in, in todd's podcast he has a puts out a challenge out at the end you know do you have some something to mm-hmm. advise and I, I said you know to, that was it to the thing that I, cha- I i i thought was important that everyone should work on in their life is that specific thing is you know finding gratitude and even in the simple things you know and whether it be you know initially uh some of the things that you know people do or, or that you know i recommend some of my clients do is you know have a gratitude list where they're um you know at the end of the day you know looking for the things that you know wh- what do they have gratitude for in that day and i i think it almost you know in my experience in life jake i don't know if you feel this way too but what i kind of heard you said say was um that you know, to, gratitude can kind of be found almost in anything, in any moment, and that that's the way in which you know you you connect to that that Zen zone within within you, that you find that pace, that place, or that peace. Yes. Um, and I don't know if that. I don't again. I don't want to put words in your, in your mouth. No, I but, think that was yeah. stated well. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, what about you? What are your thoughts or views on? Uh, <laughs> on uh, God, <laughs> religion, the universe, whatever you want to call it, faith. You know, I don't, I don't want to define the terminology necessarily, but do you, do you have, do you have any beliefs or thoughts about, about that? That is, that's heavy. That's a heavy question. <laughs> I, so I don't know. I believe that there is something else, something more powerful. I do believe okay. that, and I I don't know that it is this human form, and <laughs> I don't so much believe that um, or some deity, yep. right? Yeah, right. I, okay. I don't necessarily believe that, and and you know, my family would you know <laughs> challenge me on that, of sure. course, yeah. uh, as, as families can. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. But. I believe that there is something greater and there is, you know, a reason and, and a rhyme to, to all of these things. Mm-hmm. And it's just not, um, all these things don't happen by accident, you know? Um, so, you know, I, I'm not a religious person. I don't, I don't go to church. I don't mm-hmm. pray, but I do send things out, you know, to the universe, so to sure. speak. Yeah. And, um so yeah I believe that there's something something greater out there. Yeah. And I I don't want to define it but it sounds a little bit on the agnostic level a little, a little bit. bit like there's something there I, something greater. I'm not sure what exactly. I don't want to define it. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's not a you know, it's not a deity or a, a person or yeah. some guy in a robe, you know, white robe and, right. you know. and great beard. Yeah, great beard. Yeah. <laughs> right. uh, yeah, it's not Gandalf. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess I find myself thinking about that on occasion, but I don't spend too much yeah. time. Yeah, no worries. Yeah, no. I, this that. idea of of um, the balance of, and I, I like the way you you said, you know, you know that it, there, there's something I put, I put things out, and you know, I, I know that something comes back. There's some kind of exchange, and again, not wanting to put words in your mouth, but I hear that. that there's there's something that happens so i'm responsible for what i put out in the universe and you know will those things will it come back in some form or another um okay uh 
Last thing, um, and uh, I don't know if this is going to be a surprise to you, but I, I do ask everyone if there's a couple songs and that they have um, in their life that they feel if there were to be a soundtrack for your life, if there's anything that a song or two that may rep- represent you. And um, I also say, well, if there was a life celebration, what would be on that playlist kind of thing, you know? Um, and I, I I say this kind of jokingly a little bit because I've been working on one for a long time, you know. But You've I've, been I've, working on a soundtrack, a, a soundtrack for a soundtrack, yeah. I started years <laughs> ago, but since my heart attack, I've been updating. <laughs> oh, you really have been working on a soundtrack. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, and, and so most of it's... you got a playlist. I got, I got a playlist, yeah. And most of it's... Um, there's a lot of funk on there, just definitely. Okay, <laughs> and I'm. <laughs> I've got a I've got a rehab playlist that, but these are all just songs that played while I was in rehab, and uh-huh. so that kind of brings me back to that that time mm-hmm. um, while I was there. It reminds me, you know, of some of those experiences. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and those can be life celebration songs too. I mean, that, that I I know yeah. I know exactly what you're saying about that. Yeah. 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 Uh, I don't know that I can come up with one song in particular. Uh, I used to joke that that TNT by ACDC was kind of my walk-on song, uh-huh. but yeah, that's just kind of a, a joke. Because um, <laughs> that's not really... I think there's a moment about like hiding your women or something. You know. <laughs> Well, it is ACDC. It is ACDC. Uh, yeah, right. Yeah. That's like, <laughs> I mean, that, you know, that, uh, <laughs> that's that's like, you know, ZZ Top. You know, you're gonna if you, there's a song that you could, that would be a you know a life celebration song. There's probably gonna be sex in it or drugs. <laughs> right. Yeah. A lot of music, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I I don't know that I can like pick one out. What is my yeah like walk up music so walk up music is you know when someone comes to the wrestling ring or someone comes up to the plate no i got baseball. it yeah, yeah, right, right. Right. yeah right i have um, that's something i'll have to think about i haven't uh, i haven't defined that yet okay ever changing yeah ever changing um well good well then then do that is any anything that's any song that recently has been sticking out to you that has some importance to you personally? That kind of has some meaning to it? I'm drawing a blank. Okay. Paul. All right. Uh, maybe I need to get more into music. Because I just kind of throw on whatever, whatever, whatever's on the radio. That's okay. I'm going to throw something on for you anyway. Okay. <laughs> All right. Jay, thank you so much. I appreciate you taking some time out of your Saturday afternoon thank you for having to uh, to come and, and talk about your story. And I, you know, I admire you. Um, I, I told you that. I, uh, I, uh, your your journey and your, your things that you've done. Oh, you know, this these past three years have just it's just it's been remarkable. Thank you. And uh, it's just a, it's a great to work with you. And you know, and, and that brings me a lot of joy. And uh, I know that uh, you're, you're, what you do and all the people that you affect now, huge amount. So thank you for what you do, and yeah. thanks for spending some time with us today. Thank you for saying that. No, I appreciate yeah. you having me on, and, yeah. and this has been, it's been great. All right. All right. Uh, we'll go out as we always do um, with a little Joan Osborne. Um, you guys have a great week. I'm off to the desert. Bye.